My name's Randy and one of the teaching team around here and hanging out a little bit more frequently up here than uh, I had been and um, have pretty significant sense of leading uh, from the Holy Spirit of where he's wanting us to head towards and so working with him on that and Peter shared last week and uh, Kevin shared a few weeks ago and it's really all about that last song at the heart of it. We need more of God in our lives. And the, the challenge isn't on his end. So this morning I'm going to uh, continue. We're, we're in a series uh, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in the first weeks, um, we talked a little bit about the person of the Holy Spirit. We had done that as well in some previous times, talking about the Trinity and the role of the Spirit in uh, the Trinity. Uh, We highlighted uh, some of the Holy Spirit's role in the life of Jesus, and then we've continued that. And this morning, I, I want to initiate this time somewhat touching on the Holy Spirit and the church, or the Holy Spirit and the disciples, but then, you know, go beyond that as we ourselves are disciples, our learners, our apprentices of Jesus and the need we have for the Holy Spirit. So before we head into that material, if we could just uh, pray. Father, thank you that you have uh, introduced us to you. And invited us into closeness of relationship. So close that you want to take up residence in us. And simultaneously in some amazing, incredible way, you are inviting us to live in you. And we need that. We need to live in you and we need you to live in us. That's what we were designed and created for. So come Holy Spirit. Come Jesus. Come Papa. Let us be reminded again of the truths of your word and your availability to us and our response to invite and welcome and embrace you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just some bullet points. Um, It's really amazing to read through the Gospels and be aware of the quantity of times that the Holy Spirit is referenced in the life of Jesus. We know that the Holy Spirit was intimately involved in Jesus' conception That was a Trinitarian uh, expression with the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary, overshadowing her. We know that the Holy Spirit rested and remained on Jesus at his baptism. Uh, Jesus is described after that as full of the Holy Spirit and has led by the Spirit. Jesus spoke of himself as being anointed with the Spirit baptized 
As a result, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to live His earthly life as a human being. To teach, to heal, casting out demons, maintaining and having loving relationships, calming storms, walking on water, changing water to wine or raise the dead. All of that was done through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And I've of late just, just... thought a little, imagined a little bit about what was that transformation of cell tissue that happened when the leper was healed. The incredible power and, and, and reorientation, reconfiguring of, of the physical body. We think of God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus as, as impacting us spiritually in our minds and our hearts. But friends, they did a lot in the physical bodies back when Jesus was walking on the world, on the planet, walking with us. Anyway, the Spirit's involvement culminated in the very act of Jesus' resurrection and the empowerment for Christ raising from the dead. So from birth through baptism and ministry culminating in death and resurrection, the Son lived in an intimate and synergistic relationship with the Spirit. They worked together. In a very similar way, the Holy Spirit was and is to be involved in the life of the church and in our lives. At Pentecost, the church was birthed. Conception had occurred in Jesus and it was birthed at Pentecost. And the baptism of the Spirit falling upon the church. The disciples were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then others were filled and baptized with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is seen throughout the book of Acts as leading and giving direction, speaking, sometimes to individuals, sometimes to whole congregations. Filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit as Jesus had been, Jesus' followers lived their lives, loved in their relationships, healed, taught, spoke in other languages, cast out demons, saw people come to Christ, saw people even raised from the dead as Jesus had. Jesus, having risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, sends the Holy Spirit to establish and empower His body, the church, as the means to carry on His mission and work in the power of the Holy Spirit. Last January, was it last January you taught the pillars thing? Kevin taught, I was here on the second week, but not the first week. Kevin, Kevin taught... Uh, and, and was pulling together things that he had personally been studying, learning about, but mostly hearing from God himself. And, and he identified and said something that when I heard it, I just thought that's absolutely true. And I've read it now, sort of, Kevin, but um, we'll keep it in No, we won't keep it in here, but anyway. Kevin identified that we, we have, have significantly highlighted the cross as perhaps one of the most, if not the most significant uh, transaction of God on earth other than perhaps initial creation of humankind. The cross is pretty much preeminent in all of our minds. But the trouble is, is that by itself is inadequate. It's not enough. That, that, that would have still left us 
who we were. So the resurrection comes along and sometimes is, again, preempted by the cross and we lose that the whole point of death was the, and the resurrection was the breaking of the power of death and sin. That came through the resurrection. And then additionally, there's this pillar of Pentecost that all together expresses the amazing love of God to not leave us in the gutter, to not leave us in our sin, not leave us in sort of just, you know, messing around and hanging out uh, in, in our stuff, but longing for us to be enlivened. How much more, Paul said, would we be saved by his life, saved meaning saved from? Saved meaning deliverance, restoration. From what? From ourselves. From the world systems. Salvation is not just from sin. It's from all the entanglements that we, are, that we experience here on this earth. Jesus empowered us. Jesus left us and then sent to us His very Spirit to empower us. At Pentecost, the church received the Spirit and became the historical continuation of Jesus' anointing as the Christ, which is why we're called Christians. Little Christs. Christ followers, Christ learners, Christ apprentices. The anointing that was on Christ by the Holy Spirit is the very anointing that came to the church at Pentecost. So much so... That in John 14, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. And it crossed my mind this week in reflecting on that passage that we often, for those of us in a charismatic environment, think about greater works being uh, you know, healings and power encounters and deliverance and empowerings which are all great things, raising people from the dead, which my wife has participated in three times. You can talk to her about it. Um, and that is not tongue-in-cheek. Um, but you know, I, I, greater works have to do with God's love, which all those other things are expressions of. But the greatest of these is love. But we can't do that. We can't do these greater works on our own. There's no intention by God. All right, everybody. Now you've now you got a team. Get ready. Go. I'm cheering for you. Do a good job out there today. Get on the field. Nice. He's running out on the field with us. Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit is a part of our team. It's a part of our lives. And the greater works will come only as we embrace the greatness of God in our lives. Just as Jesus needed the baptism and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to live his life, battle temptation, respond to critics, love God, love others, preach, teach, heal the sick, raise the dead, face the cross, be raised from the dead, we need the baptism and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Just as the 
Jesus' disciples needed the baptism empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to live their lives, to battle temptation, respond to critics, love God, love others, care for their families, serve their employers, live out their ministry and their calling and their purpose in life unto Jesus. So we need the baptism and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not an optional piece of equipment. It is the very foundation. He is the very foundation. To empower us to live our lives, battle temptation, respond to critics, love God, love others, care for our families, be faithful employees, and live out our lives unto God. So we've, we've touched on and kind of led up to and talked about a little bit Pentecost. We're familiar with that story <clears throat> that on that, after 40 days, Jesus was just insistent to the disciples, please don't leave Jerusalem until you have received the promise of the Holy Spirit. Something's coming that you've got to have. And without it, you're lost. But the Spirit came. Pentecost happened. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then throughout the book of Acts, we see occasions of this ongoing baptism filling of the Holy Spirit. So what what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What, is that, what does that mean? Well, the word, as, as we understand it and use it from the Greek, it means to, to dip or immerse. So we baptize uh, in our congregation by raising, up, raising down an individual, fully immersing them in a, in a tank of water or a lake or river or pool or something and raising them back up. It's symbolic of, Paul tells us, dying and raising from the dead. But what the word is means, you know, saturation, uh, immersed, drenched with the presence and being of God through the Holy Spirit. It's, it's both a, a coming upon us, like standing under a waterfall, pouring upon us and then past us, as well as a filling with, like water filling a glass and then overflowing. It's, a, it's saturation. It, it should be evident that the Spirit is so drenching us, so um, overwhelming us, immersing us, that there is overflow. That, that just should be true. So what, 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 what's the point what, what's, the, what's the issue about, what is this unto? What are the outcomes of such a baptism or a drenching? What's it unto? First of all, it is empowerment for Christ-like relationship with God. One of the primary outcomes of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience of God's love for us and the development of a relationship with and love for God. The Holy Spirit empowered and filled Jesus to, as a human, love the Father in a profound and significant way. Yes, Jesus was the Son of God. Yes, Jesus was 100% God. He was the Trinity on earth. However, there, there was a manifestation of a a relationship in the similar way that we 
are to have relationship with God. And it is the person of the Holy Spirit that empowers and leads us to that. It's, of course, empowerment for Christ-like living. In and of ourselves, we cannot live this divine life only as we are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit can we experience real life change. It's an empowerment for Christ-like knowledge or understanding. Jesus said that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit was to instruct and teach us. It's very common, I think most of us are familiar, that for many non-Christians, when they turn to read the Bible, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But through commitment to Christ, through the filling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the, the Bible most frequently moves from gibberish to enriching. It's empowerment for Christ-like love and relationships. Think about our world, your workplace, your home, family, and friends. Relationships are hard and they're often filled with hurt and brokenness. And it's only through the Holy Spirit empowering and helping us that we have the love of God. To love as Jesus loved. To forgive as Jesus forgave. It's an empowerment for Christ-like witness. A witness is someone who says what happened. What happened to us? What have we experienced about God and His love? A witness tells the truth. Do we have a story to tell? What are we a witness of from our own lives? What have we seen? What have we experienced? And if there isn't much, then... We probably need more of God. Maybe we've only gotten sprinkled. And what we need is immersion. It's empowerment for Christ-like service. The Bible tells us that we were created to live lives of good works. And one of the outcomes of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the very infusion of the divine life into our life that we then empowered by the Holy Spirit, can become like Christ in all things. It's empowerment for Christ-like union with God. And by that, I don't mean some uh, Eastern sort of home, you know, one, I don't even know what the word for those things are. There's a symbol for them. Should have had one, but anyway. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is what Jesus spoke of in John 17. The ultimate purpose of life is a transforming friendship and oneness, union with God. United to Christ in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, we are united then with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the communion of the Trinity and with one another. Jesus speaks of our being one with God as he is one with God the Father, and the Spirit. This, this baptism or filling or empowering of the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, was what provided the means and the power for Jesus and his disciples to live their lives and do the things that they did. And it means by which we, as followers of Jesus, are to live our lives. 
and do the things that Jesus did. So, a question we often uh, at differing points in time might ask is, well, when does this baptism of the Holy Spirit occur? You know, Jesus breathed on the disciples. Uh, we're, we're shown at the end of John. And then we, Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And then there's this baptism. So there's already this um, aspect of duplicity. Or more than one. In the receiving, the baptism or filling or drenching of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, as I understand it, is initiatory at the point of new birth, but it is also subsequent at points following new birth. In the receiving of this new life, this divine life that Jesus has made available to us, the entrance into the kingdom of God, or what Jesus called being born again or born from above, in that transaction, that birth, that conception and birth, similar to Jesus's and similar to the churches at Pentecost, we receive the Spirit of God. There is some kind of, of activation, of renewal, of new life that happens. Sometimes it's visible and sometimes it's not so visible. Sometimes it's clear that we have, we were and now we're not the way we were. Sometimes it's clear that our past is set behind and we're now on a new course having repented, having changed the way we think about God and life. But when exactly that all happens is not real clear. And that's okay. But along the way, there is this growth of understanding. Let me, let me describe it this way. Let me just say this about this. We, we journey along life. We're going our own way. And, and somehow we're introduced to God, to Jesus or something. And our, our interest is peaked. Or maybe we are at the bottom of a barrel. We're at the end of our rope. We're flat on our back. And we've heard something about God and we cry out. Whatever those circumstances, very frequently those kinds of encounters are, are those, those things that make that turning point. But really, when is that? And, and it does it really matter? We know that when new birth happens, the very meaning of that is the presence of the Spirit being infused into us, us becoming a new creature, like Jesus, Paul describes. So there is this initiatory activity of the Spirit, but then throughout the journey of our Christian life, we should expect and seek experiences of being filled again with the Holy Spirit. Not for the manifestation of the experience, but for the 
aspect of empowerment, both in the life of Jesus and the lives of the disciples, we can trace these initiatory and subsequent fillings or empowerings of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had it. He had his, he had his life as a teenager and as a young adult in his baptism at age 30. That sounds initiatory to me. Did he not have a relationship with God or the Holy Spirit prior to that? Uh, I think he probably did. But something transpired. Some activity of, of God resting, coming, the Spirit being infused in him. And then we see him in activities where the Spirit's power filling him with information, gifts of the Spirit, knowledge, healing, power. Those are infusions. Those are fillings of the Holy Spirit. We see that throughout the book of Acts as well. The Apostle Paul makes this statement in in Ephesians 5.17, and perhaps it's the clearest declaration of this. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, don't be stupid, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine. That is really counter to true life. But be being continually filled with the Spirit. In that, you will experience true life. Put away the things that you have been using as crutches to make it. Set them aside, those things that have been distractions and harming to you and your families. And begin to drink the Spirit. Begin to become filled with the Spirit rather than filled with other things. Experientially, many Christians, myself included, were introduced to a form of Christianity with little acknowledgement of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, that, that has swung further towards, away from that. But we can actually see that kind of activity in the book of Acts. Acts 19, 1 and 6 describes this incident with Paul. While Paulus was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, well, no, we've never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And there are people today in some traditions and churches who have not heard much about the Holy Spirit. That was true of me. So Paul said, well, what baptism did you receive? Well, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Rethink your thinking. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, Pentecostal theology would, would suggest that this is the way it always is and it always looks like this and they say in their theology that tongues is the um, manifestation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's one of them. But the manifestation of the Holy Spirit comes in all kinds of ways. It comes with tears. It comes with loving people. It comes with joy thankfulness, gratitude to God. But are there aspects, are there situations, circumstances, people who have not experienced the fullness of the Spirit and we need to? 
Another challenge regarding the baptism of the Spirit is that some Christians are caught in what we might call a knowledge-based or mind-based Christian life as distinguished from a spirit-based Christian life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul describes two kinds of Christians. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to them. They are unable to understand them because they are not they are because those things are spiritually understood. Those who are spiritual understand all things, yet they themselves are not understood by others. Notice in this passage, Paul speaks about of those who are unspiritual and those who are spiritual. The word for unspiritual is psychikos, coming from the root psyche, mind, which means people of the mind. Psychikos, cost being group or people or community. People of the mind. The word spiritual is pneumatikos, with its root word being pneuma, which is spirit, breath, and means people of the spirit. So Paul's saying, hey, there's these people of the mind and people of the spirit. Initially, when we come to God, we approach him with our mind. We meet a Christian, we attend church, we study the Bible, we we hear a talk, we read a book, we begin to make decisions related to God. And, And we come to know God with our mind. That's okay. That's kind of how it works. Most of the time, not always. Eventually, we begin to have experiences and encounters where God is becoming more real We experience his presence, we hear his voice, and there is this spiritual aspect of God that we begin to embrace. We know God first with our mind, but ultimately God is wanting us to know him in our spirit and by his spirit. He wants us to grow to where we relate to him spirit to spirit in the spiritual realm, in the kingdom, and I, I, I'm going to talk some more in the next couple of weeks a little bit about this, how, how that works. What does it mean? How do we relate to God's spirit to spirit? Jesus said in, in John 4:23, the hour is coming, and it's now quite past, and is now here. <laughs> the hour is here. It is continuing to be here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Usually the deepening of growth is, is slow and elongated. Many people are comfortable with knowing God with their mind, but the things of the Spirit seem very uncomfortable. They're odd. They're even weird. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, we just read, those who are unspiritual do not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to them. Let me paraphrase that slightly. People of the mind do not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They don't make sense to them. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit rational understandings. It's spiritual. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm not saying check your brain at the door. It's, it's one of these both ands. But I am saying that the deeper things of God are of the spirit and of the heart. We talk about taking it from here, the 17 inches down to here, however tall you are, inches. And that's a challenge for us. We, we live in this physical realm and our eyes and senses are filled with this physical material world and yet there is simultaneously we have talked about this spiritual realm the kingdom of God that's at hand that's also touchable and within grasp I would propose that we need to be active and take initiative in being filled and empowered with the spirit of God in language there are active verbs where we do something I kick the ball There are also passive verbs where something is done to us. They kick the ball to me. And I believe that at some level we are confused about our role in our growth and in our relationship with God. I think we have had sort of a a mindset that's presented to us over these last decades that's frightened us that we would somehow fall into works if we were active or initiated And we have become passive, expecting God to do everything. Okay, God, I'm all yours. See you next week. (laughs) Really? You're mine? And you'll see me next week? What's up with that? Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 11. If we don't get the need for action and initiation here We won't get it, probably. Luke Luke 11. I say to you all, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. Those are active verbs. Those are not passive verbs. Right? Ask, seek, knock. That's action. It requires initiation. We have to do something. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give you a snake instead of a fish? Or a child asks for an egg, will give you a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We're to be being continually filled. Be being continually filled. There is an action, there's an activity of participation that we have with that. We have to seek that. I'm not sure if we leak or if we just kind of need to be reminded. Oh, oh yeah, Holy Spirit, you're in me. I need more of you. Come Holy Spirit, fill me up. Again, the problem's not on his end. Jesus said, I'm always with you. But are we seeking, are we active in our pursuit of him? Because nothing else but the empowering presence 
of the Holy Spirit and a connection with God is going to accomplish what you and I need and want for our lives. There's nothing else that's going to accomplish what God needs and wants for our lives. Worship team, come on up. We do not have in our own strength what we need to deal with the problems of sin in our lives. We don't have it within ourselves to deal with the addictions in our lives. To help our marriage be fruitful and rewarding. To raise our kids or even to raise our parents for that matter. We don't have what it takes to be truly faithful and have integrity in our jobs and our work. We don't have what it takes to walk our loved ones through the death process. We surely don't have what it takes to become like Christ in all things without the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And we can't love God, love others, or love our lost and hurting world without it. We need the empowering presence of God. We need the fire-consuming baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit. If you've had it once, you need it again. If you've had it a hundred times, you need it again. It is the only means by which we are fully to live our lives and lead others to our glorious God of love. This song we sang earlier, Come and Fill Me Up, We're Hungry. We're going to do it again. And might I invite you to imagine in your mind as you read these words that God and Jesus and the Spirit are up here. They're in this room. And you're talking to them and asking them to come into your life in the way that we're singing about. Let these words be a tool of action and initiation that can move from our minds to our hearts.
break it down today. And make space to fill up that space with his power and freedom. So I want to sing the part of Call Upon the Lord that talks about breaking the stronghold. And we'll take just a moment before we sing it. Just ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there's something he wants to break down today. to our awareness and a place where you want to show us some freedom today.
say yes to you. Yes to your empowering. Yes to your filling. Yes to your baptism. Yes to your drenching. Say yes. Yes, God. Yes, that are uh, available and would like to be available to help pray with others. If any of you are just sensing uh, turmoil, you're sensing a struggle, uh, and you want some help, we would be thrilled to join you in that. And if you're ready to receive more and you want more, then we're ready to help you with that too. It's amazing how it's helpful to have midwives and doctors in deliveries. When they don't show up, it's yeah, it's a little harder. That's what we are for one another. We're, we're midwives. We're those who come alongside to help. So we would love to do that for you. The rest 
you grab your kids. Thanks for being with us. Have a great week.